I mean, you probably could shoot a six five Creedmoor. That's probably that may be the perfect. We'll just say six Creedmoor because Ryan's Ryan's get a little teary eyed right now. So I don't six Creedmoor. One is gay and one is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take two of the Rifle Deconstructed podcast on the Shoot to Hunt podcast. That's a mouthful. We, uh, Jake and I went through a podcast trying to break down, how, how would you describe that, Jake? We were trying to break down from, from basically start to finish on how to order a rifle. Is that what we were aiming for? Yeah, it's mainly for the, the garage hunter, shooter, wants to be able to be educated in a way that he can order parts correctly so that everything matches up. So if he, if he wants to... If he wants to get a chassis on Black Friday from XLR and he wants to buy the barrel from here and the brake from here and the scope from here, looking for deals, things like that, and then he wants to bring it all into a gun builder, have it put together. Well, most of the time, especially a guy I know named Matt Whaley, that's one of his little pet peeves. He <laughs> hates it when guys bring him a box of parts because the parts never match. So this is to help those guys. No. Then he says he said he has to do some gunsmithing. Yes. He yeah. has to do some real work. Yeah, you get a lot of questions. You get a lot more actual end buyers. I get a lot of like tire kicker questions, I think. And I think this will be a good match. Our first our first try at why we say it's a take two, our first try is we kind of went down too many little rabbit holes and got sidetracks and we had a awesome new 7PRC that we talked a lot about. We want to keep this one more focused. And the four topics we're going to cover or try to cover is caliber, bullet, cartridge, and barrel. And then, and then moving through there too, there's several other, you know, the whole series, then we're going to go into action. We're, we're trying to go in order. Mm-hmm. And that's why it says up at the top here on our notes, you know, those of you that are watching, this will be better watched on YouTube, by the way, because we have rifle out here on the table, uh, barrels, cartridges, things like that. And, and as we talk through this entire series, it's going to be many episodes. Um, it would help you to watch a little bit, but we'll try and describe stuff too for the audio listeners. But we have to, we'll go through action, bottom metal, stocks, triggers, and all the accessories. Uh, but we're going to try and start at the very beginning. And at the top of the notes here, it says order of operations is important. So don't order your stock first. No. You you want to have all the options available to you as you go through and order parts. You don't want to start, if you start with the stock first and you order a short action BDL inlet, well, then you're stuck to a lot of things that maybe you don't want to be stuck with. No, and we both have a, well, it's more of a pet peeve to Jake, but I read about it all the time and it's caliber versus cartridge. Yes. So we want to start with a cartridge size, I guess you should say. Well, it's actually, but we're talking caliber first. We're talking caliber first. Caliber. Go ahead and and Yeah, yeah. So so, so caliber is not a freaking cartridge. In other words, (laughs) when you're at the gun range and the guy walks up to you, he's like, what caliber you shoot? Caliber is a diameter of a bullet. So if you shoot 300 Win Mag, that's a 308 caliber bullet. So when you ask about caliber, and the reason we're going to talk about it first is because caliber right off the bat limits you to certain bullet choices, limits you to certain barrel suppliers. Uh, you know, starting off deciding, do I want a 6.5 millimeter bullet, a 30 caliber bullet? That's really what this first part is about. So does caliber matter matter for killing and we actually have two great examples of that on the table here we have a 33xc cartridge and we have what ryan has dubbed the new 6um 
Uh, 6UM is a 6 SOM improved. It's nothing secret. We didn't make anything fantastic, but we know that nobody had ordered a Reamer before in that spec, so it's pretty cool. But you have literally one end of the – in my opinion, you have probably the smallest caliber bullet that I'd ever shoot for hunting and then the largest one, right? So you got a 33XC, which is just this monster powerhouse, 118 grains of N570, 300-grain bullet doing 3,100 feet a second plus out of a 24-inch barrel. I mean, it's a monster. It's about as big as, as a guy could go, I think, for a bolt action, you know, carry around the mountains type of rifle. And then you have the 6UM that you're shooting now, and it's a 115-grain bullet doing 3386 was the fastest velocity out of a 20-inch barrel. So that is really one end of the spectrum to the other. So this is the choices we're talking about is caliber first. Yeah, and I want to – because this was interesting to me because we have a, we're, we have a broad audience, and – my wife, when she was first getting into hunting, this was, she was a late onset hunter. So 2016, 2017, we'd already been married for 20 years. And I was trying to explain to her calibers and I wrote down, you know, there's, let's take 308 and there's, you go, you could, a 3030 is a lot different than a 300 rum. Mm -hmm. So you can have a caliber, you know, in the 308, let's just say the 308 size and one is a 200-yard gun, and one is, you know, can theoretically kill elk out to 500 or 1,500 yards if you wanted to. So that's that's what you're choosing. And then if you throw in the mix, it, you can go from 243 all the way up to 375. There's a lot of choices. And, I, and one thing I wanted to hit on is you have to break down what you have to, for a cartridge in said caliber, you also have to take in what impact velocity would be your farthest distance that you are willing to shoot or you're going to shoot at an animal. Distance is definitely important, and and one of the factors that you need to consider as your style of hunting. If you're a timber hunter and the furthest shot you ever take is 100 yards, well, there's a lot more calibers available to you to kill an elk, for example. Like, I'm not going to tell you to take a, which you're going to this year, but generally we're not going to tell a guy to take a 6UM and shoot an elk at 1,000 yards, generally. We, we, may, we may prove it otherwise, but as you're working through, so so – you need to know what type of hunting you're going to be doing, what you're building the rifle for, and have realistic expectations. And, and the reason we're starting, it's not really caliber first. There are a number of parts here that are going to have to match, which mostly have to do in the barreled action area. Uh, as an example, a 33XC is actually a single feed cartridge. So it's not, you know, you don't have to worry about mag feeding, overall length, all that good stuff. You know you're going to need a long action. Uh, but we need the barrel, the bullet, the cartridge, the barrel length, the twist rate, the style of action, the load port length, all of the barreled action components are really what's most important that they all match together. Um yeah, so starting with uh so starting with bullet caliber, uh 33 caliber, 33 XC, 338 Lapu improved, uh 338 Terminator all of these are, you know, on the higher end of the spectrum. So if you know, if you already have a 6.5 PRC at home and you have a 300 PRC at home, then maybe you're just looking to kind of have your your all your bases covered and you want this big monster cannon that can kill anything at whatever distance you can shoot to. And maybe you're just, you're looking for that 33 caliber. So you already know what you're going for. Yeah, I would say that's a specialty caliber and you're probably going to either have to use a place like Unknown Munitions or Hand Load. Mm -hmm. So those are also... You yeah, also, you can't you can't buy a 33XC loaded ammunition anywhere. It is nice though. So Peterson cartridge, fantastic brass. They do have head stand. The reason I chose 33XC for the last build is because it was the largest 
33 cal cartridge that was head stamped, which was which was one of my requirements. So, yeah. yeah. And so those are the hot rods, you know, and you you could also come down to like the 300 terminators, you know, even 300 rums are are kind of the hot rods in the 30 cals. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide early on in your cartridge is if you're going to hand load, you're going to have somebody load for you, or you're just going to shoot factory ammo also. That's very important. That definitely is a limiting factor to your, not so much your caliber choice, but as we work into the cartridge, um, and, and a lot of guys, they may not have a lot of rifles. They may not have a single rifle. And we get this asked often is what is the do all cartridge? And this is not a the Rifles Deconstructed series is not about trying to tell you what cartridge to shoot. We're trying to give you the groundwork to be able to put all this together for yourself. At least make make educated choices on caliber cartridge and so on as, as you're working through your, your rifle build in your head. It seems like as soon as everybody gets done with hunting season, rifle season ending in November, whatever, everybody starts to think about the rifle for the next year or maybe what they'd do different for the next hunting season. Maybe they had they had a bullet that didn't perform well. Uh, they're going to think, oh, maybe it was too small. Maybe it was the wrong bullet construction, whatever it was. But you guys are going to be working through your problems trying to become a better hunter and be more successful the next trip. So this is really – we want to keep it facts and, and – and, Right. Yeah, educational. And, you know, another thing when you have the hot rod cartridges, and I'm not trying to steer anybody anyway because I think everybody should buy lots and lots of rifles. <laughs> but if you take the 33XC or you take a 300 or 338 Terminator, even a 300 Terminator, 300 rum, it's not a rifle that you're going to go out and shoot 50 times on a weekend. Mm. You, you can, but you're going to have to, you know, hopefully you have a lot of money because you're going to have to put a different barrel. You, the components, you're talking, what, five to seven bucks a shot? Is it, oh, eight bucks. Eight bucks a shot on a 33XC. And you're, you don't, your barrel life's, you know, probably, let's just say for general purposes, 800, 800 shots and under. Mm -hmm. So it's not a, it, it's a specialty rifle. It's why I think like when I think about a 33XC, it's a place where I'm going to go up and I'm going to sit on a ridge and I'm going to be able to shoot basically out to 1200 yards yeah. or, you know, if conditions right, even farther to where if you're the guy that's, you know, you're coming from back east or you're a guy that isn't going to, you know, ambush hunt at distance, it's the last cartridge that I would probably mm -hmm. tell you to buy. Yeah. Um, but if you're taking, I, I just read this other day that most people would be better off with just having a 30 out six. And mm -hmm. there's right. a lot of truth to that. Yeah, definitely. Because you can buy tons and tons of factory ammo. It's pretty good out to 600 yards. And for most people that that's well beyond their effective range. Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe that you know the guy that we're talking to he's he's had maybe a Christensen maybe a Fierce maybe a Remington seven hundred something like that and part of his way to step up his game is he wants to put something custom together but he wants you know a lot of guys are hands on a lot of us like to be hands on but it can be difficult weeding through all the bullshit you read online about uh, about just specifically calibers and cartridge choices so yeah so guidelines so. I would say if you were to pick a do all caliber if you had to pick. One do all caliber. We both don't like seven for certain reasons, so I would say thirty. I agree. If you had no rifle, stick in the thirty class. If your range wasn't going to be beyond five hundred yards, three hundred WSM. If your range is going to be further out, you want more power, three hundred PRC. You can move up into a three hundred rum at four inches for pretty much the most most horsepower Magnum bolt face thirty cal you're going to get. I just heard a collective sigh from the three hundred WSM guys. <clears throat> <laughs> Three in, in a short thirty cal, three hundred yes. WSM is really hard to beat. I think out it like literally if you're putting in your practice 
and you take like just off the top of my head, like a 185 juggernaut. I mean, it is a legit, legit, if you do your part, six, 700 yard gun. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, you need to do your part, but you're right. I think a 300 WSM is a fantastic rifle for a utilitarian do it all rifle. Yes. Or sorry, cartridge. Cartridge. Yes, Yes. absolutely. So, so moving forward, uh, 30 cal as a general suggestion for a do it all caliber, um, if you're sensitive to recoil, things like that, just put a big muzzle brake on it. We got a, uh, if you're on the YouTube here, you can see there's a TI Pro 3 on the front of this. It's a five port, very aggressive angled muzzle brake. And it makes it so, you know, even with this 338 Lapua improved, my son Mason could get behind that and shoot it, no problem. In fact, Jessica, the first rifle my wife shot last year uh, was a 338 Lapua improved. She printed like a quarter inch group, you know, so it's definitely doable. Just put a big brake on there and you'll be all right. Yep, I agree. So if you go past that, if if your person wants has kids or even you're talking about muzzle brakes and he does not want a thirty cal, what would be what would be the next options to you? Uh, in the six five, still I don't like standard bolt face. I guess you know I leave yourself some options. So six five PRC, it's it's really tough. But Hornady did a fantastic job with six five and three hundred PRC. If you were to have two rifles to do it all, you wanted a deer gun and an elk gun. It's really hard to beat those couple cartridges. Of course, 6.5 PRC is definitely an elk gun. Um, so I guess if you are sensitive recoil or you have really young kids or you want to do, you know, step down to 6.5 PRC from the 300 WSM, that'll give you, you know, basically recoil is a direct result of the energy mm-hmm. from the bullet moving down the barrel and away from you, right? Equal and opposite forces. So if you shoot a smaller bullet, if you shoot a bullet slower, all of those things are going to reduce the recoil. Um, of course, having a good break on there. So yeah, so 6.5 PRC would be a great choice. We just got a 6.5 SOM. For those of you that want to float on the, let's say the wild side, you don't want to be like everybody else is. Uh, we have a 6.5 SOM improved reamer that's pretty awesome. 6.5 SOM in general is about 5% more horsepower than a PRC. Uh, if you improve that, you're maybe 10%. If you improve N plus P, which we'll get into in one of these segments here, uh, th- these are all ways to add horsepower uh, or be a little different from that that same cartridge. Yeah, and then if you were, again, on just on cartridges and having a a wide swath, if you were not elk hunting and you're mostly going to deer hunt, you know, you're going to sheep hunt, even goat hunt, non, non-elk non and up, man, that six, and even elk, because I've witnessed a whole bunch of elk get shot with a six Creedmoor 243. 243 probably, probably killed more animals than any other cartridge. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. 30 at six is probably up there. 270 is probably up there. I don't have the actual facts on that. Luke, you can look that up. If what cartridge has killed the most North American animals, that'd be great. I'm scared of six millimeter. I'm going to tell you, like Why? even the six, well, looking at this six UM, yeah, I'm going to see all the proof in the pudding because you're going to do all the, you're going to do all the legwork and show it, show us what it's going to do to animals. Yeah. And I'll tell you but, the truth. If I think it, it didn't work yeah, exactly. but so far, well, we've already been, seen it destroying it's been shit. Pretty, but we'll get into the bullet part. The bullet part, I circle bullets matter. Bullets do matter a lot no more what. sometimes, and they can in make any up of these for, calibers. Yes. You can kill any one of those calibers by using the wrong bullet for sure. But six millimeter, just the size as as we're looking through, you know, twenty two would never happen. So two two three, you know, think we'd never shoot with a twenty two. Yeah, I'm we, saying I would never. <laughs> I was gonna say we had there a whole thread on rock slide. Yes. it's like a, a freaking a half a million views. On, I'm working through my thought process okay. of building a new rifle, not having any existing rifles. Luke just pulled it up, 30 out six. So, most killing cartridge, one rifle to rule all. Interesting. No, not today. 
30 hours. Not in a custom <laughs> rifle. Anyway. So that, we, we, I don't think we caveated that at the beginning, did we? That we are talking about custom rifle builds on the rifle deconstructed series. Yeah, this is you. This is you wanting to piece together. So stop being scared of an M5 versus a BDL inlet, or what even is a BDL, or what even is what's a floor plate? What's an internal mag box? What is this Wyatt's shit? Uh, what is a Magnum and a standard bolt? These are all the things we're going to explain is basically all the parts and how they go together and just educate you so that maybe not, maybe you're done listening to this series and this inspires you to next year start buying these parts. Start on Black Friday. So so hunting season just ended. XLR does their Black Friday sale and you want to score a chassis. And, and this is going to be your dive into the custom rifle world. So this is, this is what we're trying to do, educate and inspire for, for that reason. Okay, so utilitarian, we said 300 WSM. We also threw in 6.5 PRC being vanilla, but you said you were scared of six millimeters. Okay, so if, if, I'm, if I'm building my only custom rifle, my first dive into it, if I was to read all the sniper typer info that's out there, six millimeter, I think, would, would I'd be scared of, of going that small. Now, we'll, there'll be more information coming out on the six I'm improved and the, what the bullets are doing to animals, but we've already seen some. I've heard some guys talk about six millimeter killing things that, that I trust that know what they're talking about. And uh, we'll see some experience this year too. So, yeah, I'm going to try to shoot everything with that six UM. So, caliber, uh, does bullet diameter really matter for killing? Well, we're about to drop some other episodes we recorded with a a guy who is, to say the least, extremely experienced in, in killing with, you know, the general meaning of the term. Uh, and he talks a lot about six millimeter and what that caliber is capable of. Talk about wound channels. I don't even remember all the terminology he uses, but this guy knows all the all the proper terminology, you know, once the bullet enters and there's different types of wound channels, there's a, say some of them, you probably remember some of them, the, like the expanding. Oh, the uh, minimum, the maximum, the, uh, the uh, temporary wound channel. Temporary wound channel, the, that was what I was talking about. Yep, the, uh, what is he called, the permanent wound channel. Mm -hmm. And to me, I don't. Just when you say the word wound channel, it yeah. makes me want to shoot a bigger caliber bullet. I, and I think that's general consensus. Yeah. But. We should have those out in the next within the next month, and he kind of breaks down why. And he's done he's done a lot of shooting into gel, and he's done he's he's shot a lot of deer and elk, and he's very meticulous in the way he does the, what do you call it necrocopsy? I say autopsy. autopsy. He said it's not an autopsy; it's a necrocopsy. Necropsy. 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 What yes. I say necrocopsy? I don't know. Some necromancer. Isn't that like humping dead people? I don't <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a different term. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and furthermore. Yes. We wrote on here. So I wrote in here hunting style and game choice. That goes back to the same thing we're talking about. If you're shooting deer from a stand in, where do they do that shit? Georgia? In Georgia, Nebraska, any place that you're going to okay, have a lot of white tails. You don't need a lot of anything. Yeah. Your max distance, you're going to shoot 100 yards max from a tree you don't want to get knocked out of the tree no so you know even 300 wsm is overkill in my opinion in that situation i mean you probably could shoot a 6.5 creedmoor that's probably that may be the perfect we'll just say six creedmoor because ryan's ryan's get a little teary-eyed right now so I don't. six creedmoor one is gay and one is awesome <laughs> <laughs> here we go Okay, so hunting style and game choice, that's a big factor in your caliber choice. Again, you do not need a 30 caliber bullet probably to kill deer. Not with today's bullet choices. Absolutely anyway. not. Yeah. Uh, state minimum requirements for hunting. 
yeah, that goes back to you need to figure out how, say, say you're going to shoot 600 yards. You need to go figure out what that impact velocity is. I, I don't really care with most traditional hunting weight bullets. I don't give a shit about your energy. Not one. I, I don't care anything about mm-hmm. impact energy. Mm-hmm. It's all about your impact, impact velocity. So figure out what that's going to be at 600 yards. And people state all these numbers. That's why I don't care about energy because I've seen dead elk hit with 300 foot pounds of energy that absolutely annihilated the chest cavity. So find your maximum impact velocity and make sure the bullet, and we're going to talk about bullets in a minute, the bullets you're going to use works mm-hmm. at that impact velocity. Well, it's a really good point about the impact velocity. So in order to calculate impact velocity, you're going to need to use some type of ballistic calculator. Correct. There are plenty of free options out there that you can put on your iPhone, even for those that are phone challenged or, or technology challenged, you know, you can, uh, you can find some pretty easy to use tools, but you're going to need to know some information in order to calculate that. Uh, the main thing is your bullet choice with the BC and the velocity leaving the muzzle. So if a guy is thinking about a 215 hybrid, uh, he's going to need to know some information. You know, he's going to have to make up some velocity and see if it's getting the job done that he's looking for. And then we're going to match the cartridge horsepower to move that bullet through that length of barrel to hit what he's looking for. And that's really why we talk about bullet first, and in this case, caliber and then bullet. So if you've settled on a 30 cal, and maybe you're you're trying to decide between a WSM and a PRC, that's a good argument as we move through. We can mm-hmm. just talk about the two. Uh, obviously, with a 300 WSM, you may need a longer barrel. You're going to need a longer barrel to reach the same impact velocity as you would with a 300 PRC. So if your goal for the build is a super short barreled packable rifle, you're already going to know in your head that you're going to run with more horsepower. So out of those two choices, you're going to pick a PRC right away. A PRC is going to burn all the powder. You can probably go down to 18 inches very safely and still shoot a 300 PRC in a 215 hybrid. Yeah, because you're shooting, what, 20-inch barreled rum and burning all the powder. So you could yeah. probably shit even a 16. 98 grains are burning in, in 20 inches. And we did that 300 Norma with 90 grains and 18 inch too, and that one did fine. Um, so barrel length. So if you know right off the bat that you're going to be looking at a short barreled rifle and you want to retain your impact velocity, you're going to know that you're going to be in a long action. You're going to be in the bigger cartridges. So there's no point to even be looking at the, the small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of why we're doing this. You need to, you got to write down, you know, you have to figure out these before I would figure out, I'd write them all down and figure out exactly which which requirements you're going to need for your hunting style. Yeah. And again, this is not the factory rifle guy shooting factory ammo because those guys are going to sit down and they're going to do what they, they're going to compare what they call ballistics. This is the marketing term used to describe performance of a cartridge such as 7PRC when comparing it to an older cartridge like a 7RM mag. So you're going to hear a lot lately, a lot of guys talking about 7PRC ballistics are so phenomenal over older cartridges like a REM mag. There are reasons why. Um, but we are not, this is not in that realm. This is not for those guys. You guys are making ammo here. Now you still can shoot factory ammo. That's for sure. But generally, you know, hand loaders, uh, looking to optimize a cartridge. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we've beat that up. I think we can, uh, oh, well, component availability and bullet options. Yeah. So the reason I brought that up is because some guys are stuck on 270. Well, the 277 caliber is not the best caliber choice for bullet options. There are just not as many bullets available in that caliber because it's it's not very mainstream. This may sound today. Huh. Why 
I know my buddy Jesse's going to. Why would you pick 270? Why in the hell would you pick a 277 caliber? I don't know. Some guys are just there. I would say it's just, it's it's old school, you know. Uh, maybe they had a 270 win as a kid and they want to. They want to run a 270 WSM now. They want something with a little more meat on it, and it's what they're used to. But I guess what we're telling you guys is if you're if you're starting from scratch and you're new to this, there's no reason to be in the 277 caliber realm. There yeah. are not a lot of great cartridges. A lot of guys are necking down, necking up to make something work, which is great. But if you're going to try to get into a different caliber by wildcatting, 277 is not the one I'd be trying to get into. You know, and it's I say that. I, my, I cut my teeth with a 270 is the first rifle I had was a 270. But like I asked Robbie Denning because he, he has a 270 WSM yeah. and he came from a seven mag, seven Ren mag. And I said, why? And this goes to like, he had the answers to why he wanted to build a 270 WSM. And I said, why are you going to a ballistically inferior rifle? He's like, Ryan, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot past 500 yards mm. and I want a bullet that does 3250. So I, cause he doesn't dial. He holds tensions in his scopes. He holds the subtensions in the rifle scope. He said, I want one of those 32 or better, 3250. And flat. I, yep, flat. I'm not going to shoot the five, you know? So he, we talked about, you know, you can, he does, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I think he still zeroes at 200, uses the subtensions. And that is a, he, and he's answering the questions that we're putting out there. His rifle, he knew exactly what he wanted. He primarily only shoots mule deer. So he didn't need a 30 cal or 338. And that's kind of what we're getting you to, that's what we're trying to push out there to have you answer yourself before you go down the custom road. And he answered the question. So I guess there is a need for a 270 WSM for Robbie Denning. Yes. And as we're talking about this too, if I was honest, you know, I, I haven't been shooting rifles that long. And now that I've done this shit long enough and I look at all these rifles that we're building and, and talking to guys on the phone, if I was really honest about it, the bullet and the cartridge are really not that important. I mean, you can do a lot with a lot inside of 500 yards. If you're an inside 500 shooter, you can kill almost anything with just about anything if you do it correctly. There's a lot of other shit we could talk about that goes into that, but it's not. Oh, absolutely. Guys get so stuck on the cartridge, like they're trying to decide between 6.5 PRC and 7 PRC or 6.5 SOM and 300 WSM. You know, to be honest, it's great to talk about, but it really ain't that important. Either. Bullet, bullet choice in general, bullet construction and what that bullet's having faith in that bullet, hitting that animal and doing what it's supposed to do is far more important than what was pushing it. Or, you know, so like you said, impact velocity being extremely important. If you focus on bullet construction that applies to your type of hunting and impact velocity, those are the things you should be focusing on. Yep. Make sure the bullet's going to kill the freaking animal. Yep. Well, it comes back to just like on Rockside, why it's popular is we can do a lot more talking than we can hunting. There you go. So it is, it's great. It's something to talk about, but yeah. I also want to talk right. the guy that's the guy that's sitting on the fucking fence the whole time because he can't, he just can't decide between the two, you know, just, just make a decision and start practicing. And once you, once you've built enough rifles like we have, and you've shot enough rifles hunting, you'll start to realize what your favorites and what your tendencies are, but they're not the same as everybody else, but just start shooting something. It is. And it's, to me, it's now I've built tons and tons of custom rifles and now I want the best bang I can get without the recoil. Mm -hmm. So we'll it's talk. You're getting old. I am getting old. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting old. I got to have a new fucking shoulder. Yeah, it's getting yeah. old. I'll also say too though. After you showed me these two fucking fist size holes coming out of that elk at tell me 700 yards. That Jim's was 450. 
450. So two fist size holes coming out of the the backside of the elk after being hit with a 6UM with a 115 nose ring DTAC. Yep. That was pretty fucking impressive. And mine was 646 and it has a softball size hole. Yes. Coming out of the side of it. So And and you know, we've seen big, big bullets hit elk at those distances and the elk walks away. Yeah. So that's great that we bring that up because now we're gonna we'll switch topics to bullets. Okay. So the so, second topic is bullet. <clears throat> bullet. Uh, number one note here, match versus hunting. This is a. Uh, this is the hottest, most talked about. Right now, I have four questions in my inbox about match. Which hunting bullet? Match versus monolithic or bonded? Why that I choose match bullets? And I'll let Jake go through his. He ha, Jake has a very good speech on this. I don't agree with this speech, but Jake is is talking to the masses when he gives this speech. So I'll I'll let you do your speech, and then I'll try to shoot holes in your boat. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it's a it's a rant only because I'm a I'm a nuts and bolts type of thinker, and I like to understand what the differences are that you, that you're choosing from. So basically. If you talk about an ELDX versus an ELDM, for me, it's the same exact bullet construction. It is a cup over lead core bullet. The cups can be varying thicknesses, but when we generally the match versus hunting bullet conversation is now revolving around cup over lead core. I don't think a lot of monolithic bullets are included in this conversation, except for the old timers. The old timers that were shooting uh, Barnes LRX partitions or just bonded bullets in general, nozzler, acubons, you know, th those guys are including those hunting bullets in the conversation. But the conversation today uh, with the 40 and unders, let's say, when they say match versus hunting, it's cup over lead core. It's ELDX versus ELDM. It's burger hybrid target versus burger VLD hunter. And so you guys understand both, all of those four bullets I just described are all built the exact fucking same way. They are all the same cup with lead in the middle. The, the, the lead is not bonded to the cup in any way. And if you look at Berger, their target jackets are thicker than their hunting jackets. If you look at Hornady, the hunting jackets are thicker than the match jackets. So Berger and Hornady are literally opposite when, when it comes to jacket thickness yet they both have hunting and match bullet lines. Like what makes it a match bullet and what makes it a hunting bullet? We don't really know. So so back to the rant. So there's, there's a cup over lead core, which can be explosive and unpredictable at close range, but that generally expand better at long range. That's when compared to bullets like a monolithic bullet, like a Barnes LRX. Monolithic meaning it's one type of metal through the whole bullet. Uh, so a cup over lead core would be copper and lead. That's not a, not a monolithic bullet. Uh, Barnes LRX are made to expand, I think, down to 1,800 feet per second. So that's where your impact velocity really comes into play. If you guys, you don't want to shoot a little, a big Barnes bullet out of a bitty cartridge that's not going to, you know, and you want to shoot to 800 yards, it's not going to have the impact velocity to expand properly. Um, so monolithic bullet, and, and part of those monolithic bullet would be lathe turn bullets. So you have uh, McGuire ballistics, you have hammer bullets. Cutting edge. Cutting edge. There are... There are a growing number of lathe turn bullet manufacturers coming on uh, coming on board recently. I mean, everybody kind of thinks at some point that maybe all states will be lead free or maybe all federal land, something like that. God, I hope um, not. Yeah. So, so the bullet construction, and then the last one would be a bonded. But well, there's bonded and partitioned. Bonded bullets means that the lead in the middle of the bullet 
is chemically bonded to the jacket so that when it hits, that whole mass will stay together. So it's still made the same way, but they put a chemical on the outside of the lead that bonds it to the jacket. It also makes it a more difficult manufacturing process. So generally, bonded bullets are less consistent than cup over lead core bullet. A cup over lead core bullet is the easiest one to make consistent. So that was bonded bullet, partition bullet, uh, specifically a nozzle partition is what guys know. There's a wall or a partition in the middle of the bullet that holds a chunk of lead back behind it. And then there's the front of the bullet that will open up and expand while maintaining weight for penetration with that partitioned area behind it. So that kind of covers all the bullet, the general bullet construction. So a cup over lead core bullet, whether it be Hornady, Burger, or anybody else that's making them, they tend to be more consistent from bullet to bullet, meaning they're better for long range performance. Uh, all the lathe turn bullets are the most consistent bullets for long range performance because they're turned on a machine that makes them identical. Uh, Barnes monolithic bullets are swaged, means they're kind of, Let's just, let's just say they're hammered into place. They're inconsistent in their manufacturing process. Yeah, that's my rant. No, it's, and it's, I like it because it's, it's very uh, non-political. Yeah. It's, I, don't, I don't have a rant. The only thing I just have of what I've seen. Yeah. And I was going to add that this, uh, and I didn't know this till very long ago, the Swift uh, A-frame. You ever seen, heard of that bullet? Yeah. It's a partition bonded bullet. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah. You know that we've never had Swift or Sirocco bullets, or not Swift or Sirocco. Swift is a Sirocco. Yeah, Sor we, Sirocco. 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 We've never had Swift bullets in the shop. So when I, when I first got into the, when the ABs came out, the, the um, Nosler Acubons came out, um, that's the Sirocco's were also out, but I never could, I, I've got 200 grain Acubons to shoot pretty accurately. Dang, it was 180. I shot those in my run forever, 180 Swift Sirocco's. Yeah. They shot fantastic. Really? Yeah. So they were consistent. And they're bonded and partitioned. The A-frame. Oh, the okay, Sirocco's okay. are not, but they make an A-frame. It just looks very similar to a Nosler partition, but it's it's A-framed and bonded. So God dang. That mm -hmm. could be a hard bullet if you're shooting elephants yeah, and shit. Yeah. And that's awesome. We didn't really get into that too, but that was, that was another caliber. If your goal is to build a rifle to go shoot a, a water buffalo over where they shoot those water buffalo, you know, the, the Cape Buffalo, water Cape buffalo. buffalo. Yeah. yeah. That's the big the thick, the Adriatic. ones that make you shoot the, the 454 or whatever at, you yep. know, 4570. And then there's an Adriatic water buffalo that's all, or I don't think it's, I think it's called an Adriatic water buffalo. It's super hard to kill. Yeah. So um, you go over there, those guys don't want you to shoot nothing under a 45 cal. No, I think you have to, I think a minimum, I think all of those are 375 minimum. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But so you if that's your goal with your rifle or your hunting style, you, you're, you're, yeah, it's we, this big freaking. But that's such a special to me, especially outlier. I wouldn't, if you're building custom guns for that, you have to probably have, can afford to build a lot of custom guns. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's an outlier. Yeah. Um, my, th I, I've only seen, I'm trying to make sure this is right. I've only seen one. I can't say a bullet fell, a bullet really do what it's not supposed to do. And that is an ELDX. And as a, I don't know. The people will tell me I'm wrong. It's either a 162 or a 163 grain ELDX out of a 284. This is another reason I fucking hate 284s. Yeah. Tanya shot um, a mule deer. I take that back. I've seen two bullets do not what they're supposed to do, and they're both the same bullet 
ELDX 162, you said? Yeah, 7 mil, they make actually a 162 ELDM and X, okay. same bullet weight. This is the X, mm -hmm. not the M. Mm -hmm. um, both of them, one was on an elk, and the elk was probably under 200 yards, and then one was Tanya's mule deer, and it was probably 400 yards. Both of them, I don't even know how to really explain the elk, shot in the rib cage, but into the rib, probably the, the furthest rib forward for you get to the, right into the shoulder. And it looked like a pie plate had hit this, this elk. And it looked like when I walked up, there was like globulin mass of crap that was in the entrance wound, but it was coming out like it would, it was funneled out. Huh. And I, the elk was dead. So doing the autopsy, it had gone in about six inches, it looked like, pretty much evaporated. I found flakes. I never found any of the cup and core. I found little pieces. And it was probably a pie, pie plate in, you know, diameter and just no real, it took completely killed that lung, that first lung. I couldn't see any damage on the second lung. So it exploded. From all intents and purposes, just exploded. Yeah. It, so I can't say it failed to kill the animal, but that's not something I'd want to live off of. You mm -hmm. know, I wouldn't want to have that happen a lot. Well, the same basic thing into the hard knuckle part where the leg meets the shoulder same thing, and it was same kind of deal. It had like a little funnel coming out of it, and it was not quite a pie plate in size, but it's probably six inches in diameter. Same thing went in about, I don't know, half the distance of an elk, what, six, seven inches? Or, sorry, of a deer, and killed the deer. But again, it wasn't like dramatic like you saw from the 6UM or you'd see from a big cup and core match bullet. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the only what I would say is a failure. What I've seen and I argue on Rockslide all the time is from monos, any monolithic bullet, you know, monolithic bullet or a hard uh, bonded bullet <clears throat> is you see people have this confusion of how wide a elk and deer are from rib cage to rib cage. Mm. Narrower than you think. Way narrower than you think. And I, I should have done some homework and got the actual distance, but they think they need like two feet, four feet. Uh -huh. I would say, let's just say 24 inches of penetration yeah. to kill animals. Mm -hmm. And it's just simply not the case. So what you see, and this is everything past 500 yards, because I'm not going to BS anybody. I do most of my killing now past 500 yards. Well, it seems like it's like that too on public land. If, if you want to yeah. get into animals on public land, you need to be able to shoot a little bit further. Yep. And don't get me wrong. I'll shoot them at 10 feet. I'll shoot them at one feet. <laughs> I don't, I'm don't, not. <laughs> they just don't come out at that. Yeah, I don't. very often. I, I would prefer to shoot them closer, but it just mm -hmm. seems like that's. Not what happens. So past 500 yards, you get into very, very narrow wound channels. And I forget the terminology that Forum used on the, it's just not, uh, the permanent, the permanent wound channel is very narrow and deep and mm -hmm. it either exits or it's in the offside, you know, hide. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and people say, well, the animal died. Well, yeah, it did die. But say you have an animal up on a, you know, a knife ridge and the other side is hell. Well, would you rather have a, a wound channel that just goes in like the 6UM and just destroys the internal, you know, vital organs? Or would you rather have a mono or a bonded bullet that just zips right through and leaves a, you know, like probably a two inch, maybe permanent wound channel? Mm -hmm. I want the destruction. Yeah. So that's, that's my, my. That's the arc. permanent wound channel. The permanent that, that wound channel is just nasty on a cup and core match bullet. And I say match bullet, just like you talked about outside of the ELDX, you're talking ELDMs, you're talking T, you're not talking Sierra TMKs. 
You're talking uh, burger, Target, and VLDs. I actually prefer the Targets over the VLDs. The VLDs just, they do random weird crap that I've noticed mm -hmm. to where you either get, <clears throat> I shot an elk at 600 or 599 yards. It was a spike. And I hit him with a VLD. I can't remember. It was a 30 cal VLD. And it's just same kind of thing as a mono or a bond. It just zipped right through very small permanent wound channel. And it, it like it was a full metal jacket, just zinged right on through, killed the elk. So again, you can't say that it failed, mm -hmm. but it didn't wreak havoc like I want to see. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember actually where I was going with it. See, some, some guys are literally the complete opposite perspective. They'll say that I want it to zip through to minimize meat damage. And then you're the opposite. We want, and I'm the same way. I want, we want catastrophic damage because we don't want to lose the animal. Correct. Yeah. And you see, and then people will argue with me. I have never, ever lost an animal with a match bullet from shooting it close. Hmm. And I'm talking my 40 yards is probably my closest on an elk. Um, we, I was just arguing with somebody, 147 ELDM out of a 6.5 PRC doing 30, 40, or 30, 50 at the muzzle. I shot an elk and broke both shoulders at 80 yards in Colorado. I mean, crushed that elk. The guide actually told me he had never seen that much damage inside of a bull elk. Nice. So it's... it's elk, at, at, at the other end of that spectrum, he killed the other bull in Montana there at like 906, 906 with a 147.65 PRC. Yep. So there's a bullet that you just described as, you know, basically end-to-end -end performance. Yeah, and you look at that bull. I shot him twice, but he was dead on arrival. I shot him in the heart the first time, shot him in the lung the mm -hmm. second time. But you can go also look at... And I'm not just basing this off of mine. I've seen hundreds of elk get shot or I should say witness. I didn't pull the trigger like Jim's daughters, Jim's kids. I trust Jim. Jim Carr was on her podcast a few podcasts ago. They wreak havoc with the ELDMs, the mm -hmm. 147s and the 108s out of a six Creedmoor. Yeah. Most guys in the custom world are wanting to shoot that 156, you know, because it's kind of largest for largest for caliber bullet. But the 147 seems to be the kind of go-to guaranteed to kill bullet anymore. There's yeah. also that 150 Acubon long range just came out pretty recently. I do not have enough experience with the, from what I have witnessed of two wasn't, wasn't fantastic, but I don't have enough, you know, I haven't used them enough to say either way, whether, what, what my thoughts are. But if you that. had a six, five PRC today, you'd run the 147. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And you can get in a little trouble with the proof four grooves. We're mm -hmm. going to talk about barrels in a little bit, but you can, and I have blown up bullets in a proof four groove. And I've had bullets come in sideways at 100 yards with the 147. So you do have to watch that. Mm -hmm. But the the basically here is I'm not, and then I'm not going to say not to use monolithics or bonded bullets. If you're not going to shoot past 500 yards, like before. That's what I'm saying. You can almost kill anything with anything inside of 500 yards. You don't have to get this nitpicky. But if you want to drop an elk at 1,000, you need to rethink your whole situation. But And then I'll argue that, you know, kind of flip-flop on it is, get up on a windy ridge one day and you have a 380 yard shot and the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour. Do you mm -hmm. want a flat base or you want a even a boat tailed Acubon with a shit BC or do you want a one foot, you know, a good, good high BC match bullet? It's still going to be better at 380 yards for wind deflection than that. The wind, yeah. yeah. Most guys shouldn't be taking a 20 mile an hour shot. Yeah. Well, most guys shouldn't take running shots, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody's all based on, you know, comes back to ethics. You know, you got to, have you ever practiced taking that 400 yard shot with 20 mile an hour wind? I have, mm -hmm. I've done it quite a bit. 
You You're also good at calling wind, which I'm not. That's why. That's why the wind bothers me. I, I, everybody would rather have it be calm, but right. They, this this is all based off of you're building a custom rifle. I, I'm hoping you're coming in with a lot of experience. Go get some training. Go find somebody that's better than you, and do a lot of shooting because nobody should take sh- a shot that they don't know if they can make. Mm-hmm. I've if I shoot a 400 yard shot in a 20 mile an hour wind, I can promise you I've done it hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. Mm-hmm. So that ethics aside, don't don't be a dumbass. <laughs> okay, uh, we hit all that. We Where have, are we at? Uh, hunting style car. Okay, cartridge. Cartridge. I I do love. This was some of my favorite stuff. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> so so moving into the cartridge choice, it's 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 less about. Well, there are a lot of things about the cartridge we're going to cover, but again, going back, so we've we've chosen thirty caliber. We have decided that we're gonna we want to be able to shoot elk to 800 yards. So we should start taking these are gonna be our our notes as we're guided through. So so 300 WSM or 300 PRC, and really both of them can get the job done with the same bullet. You're just gonna have a way longer barrel, not way longer. You're gonna have a longer barrel with the WSM in order to match the power of the PRC. Okay, so that's our that's our. 300 WSM, 300 PRC. This is our only one rifle. You only get one, one rifle, rifle to build. 800 yards. 800 yards. Max. You need to be able to kill an elk. Okay. So we just moved out of that 500-yard comfort zone where bullet construction, where you can kill almost anything with anything. And now we need to start thinking about what bullet, what cartridge. We didn't pick a bullet, actually. We well, moved through bullet, I can but already we didn't tell you one. what I'm going to pick. Well, you and I are going to pick a 215 hybrid. You're absolutely correct. Okay. So... 215 hybrid. We need to give an alternate one that we wouldn't normally pick to. If I had to take a second one in that for an elk 800 yards, it's going to probably be like a 208 ELDM. Yeah, I was going to say 212 ELDX. I just told you why not to use ELDX. Yeah, but I I have a lot of great feedback on that 212 right now. Okay, well, let's just go with that to be different. Or we could choose. We could choose. Let's pretend like it needed to be a bot. Well, we're outside it. We're 200, in, grain, we're yards. 200 grain Acubon could do it if you wanted to. Could yeah, do it. I'm not saying should. It's kind of like hooking up a fifth microphone on a podcast. Now, Acubons can work. Okay, if you guys are dead set on an Acubon, you just have to weight sort them. You have to visually inspect every bullet. For the polymer tip, polymer tip to be in place properly, not a bunch of plastic hanging off the sides. You can kind of shave them and trim them as needed, but generally, you can weight sort those and inspect the tips, and it will work to 800 yards. Yeah, and if you're not, you don't have to shoot the 200 grain. I would all just go look for 180 Siracos. They are they are great. Bullets. I don't think they make those anymore. Never yeah. heard of them. Yeah, they're the number they're number two <laughs> black tips, so you know they're faster. Uh huh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. So try to stay. So back on topic. Okay. Uh, so we're doing 215 hybrid and a 200 Acubond. Uh, so as we, so we chose two bullets. We have Wait a two, minute. You said 200 grain Acubond? That's what you said. Okay. So this, <laughs> just for people, we chose those two. You're talking a 588 BC. What's the 215? I can't remember. Luke, we need the. G1 BC of a Burger Bullets 215 hybrid target. I think it's 719, but good guess. Are you sure on the 200 Acubond? What'd you say it was? 588. Guaranteed. Are you sure? Guaranteed. Yeah. Luke, we need to look up the, also look up the 200 grain Acubond BC. Yeah. Okay. 
Shot so, them forever, dude. So we're talking through these two cartridges. So we've chosen, we've chosen a caliber. Okay, working back through the list, it was thirty caliber as a, as a do all be all caliber. Okay, caliber being the diameter of the bullet. We talked about the bullets. We chose the bullets based on our eight hundred yard elk gun, and now we need to decide what impact velocity we need for both of those bullets to perform properly. It's very interesting on this because it's. I wouldn't go with the the uh, company motto. I think it's eighteen hundred on the f- nozzlers. Uh, eighteen hundred on the Acubon. Or sorry, eighteen hundred on the Acubons. What's he got there? Uh, oh, he's looking it up still. Okay. So, anyways, the uh, I would want. Okay, on the seven nineteens already. I would. People are gonna flip out, but I would easily take the. Mm, I already know that fifteen hundred feet per second or fifteen hundred feet per second is by far the lowest I'd take the the 215s, and 2,000 feet per second. This is just me. What I'd take the uh, Acubons to. 2,000. Okay. How about you? Is there any change? Would you do anything different? Um, No, I don't think so. I think Nasr's going to tell you. We, we got to give them all the facts. So I think Nasr's going to tell you 1,800. I think Nasr is going to tell us. I believe, believe that is their 1,800 is their lowest. Yeah. As you, interesting. And if you tried to talk to, look, okay. we specifically need the G1BC of each of those bullets, 200 Acubon and 215 Hybrid. You got to open up the, pick your top choice on the top left, 30 caliber, 200 grain Acubon. Choose that and then look through the specs and find the G1. Again, you can watch this in video and you can see us. Uh, yeah. You got, we're going to have to have, we got we to gotta educate Luke on BCs. Yeah. Ballistic we're coefficients. Gonna, we're going to turn them into a hunting machine. Yep. Okay. Um, so moving through the process, though, if we need 2,000 feet per second at 800 yards to allow the Acubon to expand properly, it's going to have quite a bit of steam behind it. Well, because and the BC is not great. No, I'm pretty sure it's either it's 588 or 585 right there. So you're going to have to push. I just built a 300 WSM, 20-inch barrel. It's going to have to be a whole lot longer than 20 inches. Oh, definitely. Gonna have to be twenty six. Imagine. Well, it's gonna. Yeah, I don't think a WSM. The WSM is not the right choice for that. No. You could probably get. We could probably get away with the two fifteen hybrid with a WSM, but it's gonna have to be the PRC for the yeah. for the Acubon. Yeah. See, these are the questions that people need. And you to guys, ask and you guys to. can calculate this. So the one, the one missing factor in order to do these calculations, legit with with a calculator, would be expected muzzle velocity. And I've been thinking about this as I was writing these notes and we were thinking about this, this podcast, there's not a great source of expected muzzle velocity because even from barrel to barrel, it can be a plus or minus a hundred feet per second. Yes. I was at the range actually Saturday or Uh Sunday. Uh Oh, got it. Got to take your protein. Protein. Uh, Somebody had a shooting a WSM 180 Acubons and the box said 2,900 and the actual muzzle velocity was 2,980. So you're, and it could very well be the other direction too. Yeah, so, so you need to have some some spoof factor. Like if you're on the hairy edge of stability or muzzle or impact velocity, if you're on the hairy edge there, you need to allow yourself some some room for error. Um, so again, you're going to need some type of expected velocity for 300 PRC with a 200 Acubond out of a 24 inch barrel. Let's say there's not a great source for this information. So you can try to reach out to different places. Uh, we do have on, on unknown munitions website, we have a lot of custom ammo combinations 
and they do have velocities listed in barrel length. So you can try and, you know, guesstimate what you might be with those or, or really use any source. But the, the, the real problem is, is you just don't know because a barrel can be fast and a barrel can be slow. There are certain barrel manufacturers that are known for being fast or slow, you know, right out of the get go. And that has to do with the land and groove measurements and depths and, and groove forms, whether it be radius rifled, ballard rifling, all that good stuff. But try not to get too deep in the weeds here, but just leave yourself some room. So if you go on a no munition site and you see the 300 PRC, I don't even think we list 200 Acubons as a bullet there. So you're going to have to, you know, you can look at a 215 and a 210 and a 205 and kind of see the velocity differences between the three. And yes. try and get a good idea there. And you also know that if you're a hand loader, we all know that we can we can get more than expected velocity by either riding on the chip or using some 570 or, you know, any other way, you know, we can get some more. We can plus P. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to, to, to come off the edge here. But, um, yeah. So to figure out the impact velocity, they're going to need to use their ballistic calculator. So now we have a bullet. We have a BC. And you're going to need to find your expected muzzle velocity out of a certain length of barrel, which is really what we're trying to figure out at this point is what, how, how long does the barrel need to be to allow the bullet you're cho- that you chose to hit with an impact velocity that it needs to expand properly. Yep. Yeah. So on those numbers, like I wouldn't like I'm, I've said it Acubon cause people love them. Like Matt Whaley freaking loves Acubons. Acudong. Acudongs. <laughs> and uh, people will shoot them, and I know they have shot them at that distance. And I think you're And going- I think it's okay. I think you just have to spend the – you have to realize that the BC is shit. It's going to take more horsepower to make that bullet be consistent at distance and also more work on your side as a loader, you know, for bullet inspection, weight sorting, all that good stuff. You may have a 50-pack of bullets or 100 box of bullets, and you, you may not be able to use 30 of them. And this goes also you can – and nobody's a perfect wind caller, but you're using, if you are comparing, and I'm pretty sure the 580 BC, the 719 BC against the 215s, you're going to have to be a better wind caller. Oh, absolutely. So you're going to have to shoot a lot more. That's actually something I pay attention to is you, you can put in a 10 mile an hour full value wind and that, and you make sure you use that not only impact velocity, but your wind call with the same wind on the side of each bullet at that distance. So you just put 10 mile an hour full value wind. Uh, basically full value means that it, the, the wind is coming from left to right, you know, perpendic- exactly perpendicular to the bullet travel. Full value wind and then compare. You may have to dial 5 MOA for one bullet and 3 MOA for the other. I'm going to bet, and we'll, we'll figure people will tell us if we're wrong, but if you have a 5, you know, you have a full value wind from 9 o'clock against these bullets at 800 yards, it's going to be 5 or 6 inches of different yeah, wind drift. Definitely. So that is definitely a hit or a miss or a wound or a cripple or never fine versus death. Yeah. And so, it makes me want to pick the one that requires less wind call because I'm always trying to make it easier for my son to kill stuff, right? And we don't, we're not great at calling wind and... Yeah, so that definitely factors into my choice. Yeah, and anything lower than that, I mean, like you said, it's, I always say it's a grain of salt, it's, this is 800 yards, and you've practiced below 500 yards, you can get away with a lot. Yeah. Chuck, or Forum's going to tell me that I shouldn't be saying that, because <laughs> he constantly sees people miss at three and 400 yards, which we're, we're, we're hoping you've done your practice. I can't, I can't say that enough. Luke just let off a little snippet of information Earlier today, he probably shouldn't have, maybe it was today or yesterday, told me that he he missed a deer at like seven yards. 
Maybe that he's laughing. I can hear him all this time. I don't know if it was seven or not, but he missed the fucking deer standing right in front of him. <laughs> We're gonna have to give him shit about it. All right, Luke. Scroll. Hey, scroll up, Luke. Oh, back to where you were and scroll up. We, oh, he wrote down it was 18 yards. 18 he yards. missed the deer at 18 so yards. So I scrolled down, sorry. We almost got that bullet. May as well have been five yards. It's, it was close enough. How does it not have 30 cal? Up top. Head up. Doesn't even have them. Right there. 200. Oh, why does it go to stop, stop. 270 to 30 cal? It's the it's the hit view details on product number five four six no, no, one eight. No, it already says the BC of a two hundred gram Acubon is oh, five eighty eight. Isn't that what you said? Yeah, damn, right that's pretty good. I shot him for a long time. That's pretty good. Ah, uh, hey. and I'm pretty sure it is right a seven nineteen BC. So basically, did you miss anything on there? You kind of had more stuff on the actual. Well, there's a lot more on the cartridge thing. We got to yep. read through this. Uh, we're gonna talk about matching all that together to find your barrel length plus P throat. Plus P throat is a, a treatment of the rifling in front of the throat area. So plus P throat is actually a bad description. You treat the rifling out in front. It is a cheap way to gain up to 150 feet per second. So as you're working through your cartridge and bullet choices, if you need that little extra push, uh, you can get a plus P job done for a couple hundred bucks, and it's good for up to 150 feet per second on any cartridge. Any cartridge from 22 to 33 uh, we're now a licensed applicator of that process. You can send it here to Unknown Munitions. It's a very quick process for us, and we turn it around to get back to you. But as you're as you're configuring your build, remember you got plus P in your back pocket for a little bit extra. Yep. I'm a fan. I've done six. I've had six done by Sean, and uh, they they uh, most. I've never got 150. I've got 120. The least I've gotten, and Sean told me going in that um, I probably wouldn't get much, and it was 80 feet per second. So they definitely work. You're definitely going to lose a little barrel life, but to me, these are hot rods. That's why you're building a custom, and sometimes you need to some, like this 300 WSM 20 inch barrel. Um, I moved away from it. It's actually for sale because it just didn't give me what I wanted it to give me out of a 200 grain. You mean burger. velocity? Sorry, it didn't give me the velocity I wanted. Jake's got to keep me on track because my mind jumps ahead all the time. It didn't give me what I wanted with a 200 grain bullet velocity wise. If I did, I think about this other day, if I did plus P it, I bet you it probably would, but that ship has sailed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm already into something new. So if you have a rifle and, and there are, like we were talking about barrels earlier and he was talking about slower barrels, like you say, a Christensen carbon barrel, to me, they're always slow. They're yeah. always slow. Well, plus if you need that extra 70 to 150, I would say, I would almost guarantee you're going to get around a hundred. Um, that plus P and definitely can help you. Yeah, so you can plus P any rifle, any barrel that's been chambered. It can be a Christensen. It can be a full custom. You could have already shot 500 rounds through it. doesn't matter. You can plus P anything at this point. It treats the rifling in front of the throat area. It's not going to mess with your overall length, uh, and it's not, you know, doesn't really have any other requirements. Other than you need, you need to, you, there's no reason to do it if you don't have any room left in your case. Yeah. Unless you want to change powders and go through all that again. Mm -hmm. I have not, out of the six I've had, I've only had one where it didn't make it more accurate. It didn't lose accuracy on that sixth one, yeah. but it stayed about the same. The other five had better accuracy. Really? Yeah. That's good feedback too. Especially that I did a 300 run <clears throat> plus P and it was a legit, let's say a five shot group. It was 1.1 MOA and it brought it down to like probably five eighths, nice. half minute MOA five shot group. Nice. So 
there's no there's no downside except for that little bit of barrel life you're gonna lose. Yeah. So as you're talking about your cartridge and bullet, you know, you can create a dummy round for your gunsmith so that they can custom throat or extend the throat for that bullet. So what try to make sure I explain this good enough. So we have some, uh, if you're YouTubing it, we have a 33 XC out here. And, uh, you know, if you shot a 200 grain bullet out of this 33 XC, you would not want the same ogive position of the bullet as you would if you shot a 300 grain bullet. Reamers that are Sammy spec, they come with a certain length of free bore to match the cartridge to the bullets that it's supposed to be shooting. So if you talk about a 300 WSM in general, it's kind of meant to shoot 180 to 200 grain bullets. A seven rim mag is not meant to shoot 180 grain burger hybrid target. It's not that you can't get the most performance out of it and shoot that bullet, but it's not meant to in its Sammy form. So there's a part uh, where the ogive of the bullet hits the lands after the free bore happened. You can, you can, lengthen or shorten the free bore in front of the cartridge area inside your barrel to match a dummy round. We make dummy rounds here at Unknown Munitions with any combination of anything we have on the shelf. So if you guys are working with a gunsmith and you know you want to shoot a 6.5 six, SOM improved with a 156 grain Burger Elite Hunter hanging all the way out of the case as far as possible and your gunsmith doesn't have those components or he just doesn't, you know, he says, I need a dummy round. Well, we can basically, what we do in these cases is we line up the neck shoulder datum, which is the line that connects those two parts, with the boat tail bearing surface datum of the bullet. We just hold the bullet up next to it and we seat it down until those two lines match up and we make you a dummy round. I think I explained well. I mean, if you look at cartridges that could definitely use a longer throat, the one that jumps off the table that Nosler fucked up on is a 30 Nosler. Yeah, even it, 28 also, but yeah. 28 is another example, but 30, because everybody says, oh, the 300 PRC, the 300 PRC. Well, if you throat a 30 Nosler, and I've, I've harped on this, if you throw it a 30 Nosler like a PRC, it'll outrun the PRC by quite oh, yeah. a bit. It's 5 to 10% more horsepower in that case. Yeah, and then that's like a, a big, you know, glaring example, but most cases if you throw them longer for the bullet, you know, if your bullet's longer and you throw them to for that bullet, you'll get better performance. That actually moves us into another another point I made here is that there is some amount of inherent accuracy in certain cartridges. I will say that over the course of business history at this point doing load developments, we've done several 30 nozzlers. And 300 PRC is easier to tune than 30 Nosler. It's blasphemy. It's, it's it's just easier to tune. We get 30 Nosler cartridges. And, and I'm not saying that a 30 Nosler can't be easy. I'm just saying usually there's not a lot of gray area. 28 Nosler, there's not a lot of gray area. It either hammers or it doesn't. It's not like just okay in the middle. All the tw- 20, we've probably gotten more 28 Noslers for load development than most because it was rifles that guys couldn't get to shoot. Right. You know, they go through this whole process that we're talking to, you're going to go through this whole custom rifle process and then you're going to end up shooting and not being able to shoot well. And you're going to be kicking yourself in the ass, but I'm just asking, cause I don't know. Is it a fair comparison though? Because you probably had, you know, five times more 300 PRCs and 30 nozzlers. Or is there enough data there to say, yeah, it's far easier for the 300 PRCs to tune than the 30 nozzler. Well, there was some 300 PRCs that didn't shoot. I guess what you do is you, you take the percentage that didn't shoot versus the percentage that did. 
you know, and just look at it from a, there's definitely a larger sample size from the 300 PRC. Um, 300 PRC, because of the SAMI spec of 30, if 30 Nosler had the SAMI spec that 300 PRC does, it'd be much more popular. But yeah, okay. those guys, Nosler guys shit the bed on that one. Yeah, you have a better, you have a actually better 35 This is where shoulder. the ballistic yep. comparison comes into play when you talk about 7 PRC versus 7 RAM mag. Yes. We're, exactly. we're back on that boat. So 7 PRC is not better than 7 RAM mag if they are both loaded to maximum performance with the same bullet. One simply has more case capacity than the other, gives it more horsepower. Now that's, that's excluding inherent cartridge accuracy and all that good shit, but... Generally, if you're going to build a complete custom rifle with a custom chamber and throat with custom ammo, you can make almost any cartridge do anything that you want it to do. You don't need that new hot thing. A 7 rim mag can still be cool. So uh, inherent. There's no two cool 284s. <laughs> uh, talk about 7 PRC. We're actually, for those of you that are 7 PRC fans and trying to get on that boat, we're actually headed out to Peterson here in a couple weeks, and we're going to witness the first brass being made. We're going to do some 7 PRC rifle ammo shooting with them, do a little podcast and a little factory tour. Looking forward to it. So stay tuned for that. It'll be coming up. And just know that Peterson is making 7 PRC brass. I think they'll be the first to hit the aftermarket with good brass. And we will definitely have some. Yeah. Then you can actually see what it can do. Mm -hmm. Good great, brass makes a difference. Yeah. It's just Hornady brass is soft. You're not going to get the most velocity you can out of it. Basically a harder piece of brass will contain pressure without movement better than soft brass. So if you had all things being equal, 7 PRC and Hornady brass and 7 PRC and better brass with, with tougher, stiffer brass is going to hold more pressure means it's going to have more performance. That's, that's all. Do, do you think we're kind of getting off tangent, but do you think that softer brass versus harder brass, one has a longer lifespan given the same pressure shot through it? Most of the time, it has to do. It, there are more variables there. How much the brass actually has to move. In other words, if you had a, a really good hard piece of brass, but your die, your sizing die didn't match your chamber very well, and you were moving that brass a few thousands in every dimension, that brass will wear out faster than soft brass. So if if it's really about your die matching your chamber and moving the brass working the brass the least amount possible. And that's where you come into match chambers with competition shooters and things like that. We don't want a match chamber in a hunting rifle, but at the same point, you know, there are, there are some short and long chambers. If you get a bad gunsmith and he didn't dial the barrel in very well, or he has some reamer chatter, you can have an oversized case head area. Lots of bad things can happen there, but I guess to answer your question, it did, it's more important that your sizing die matches your chamber spec and make sure you anneal, anneal every firing. All right. That yeah. kind of leads us into securing brass before you commit to a cartridge. Very, very, very important. Such as 7PRC today. If you're trying to build a 7PRC custom rifle today, make sure you're working with somebody that can get you brass or have, you know, Factory ammo on hand that you can fire and reuse the brass. But, you know, 7 Psalm is a stupidly popular cartridge with a very small brass supply in the country. If you're planning on a 7 Psalm or a 6.5 Psalm, get your brass first. Or make sure you're working with some. We move a lot of brass and we're making a lot of rifles. So if you were to come here for a 7 Psalm today, we have some for you. Speaking of that, can you, 
So I just saw this on. Can you get on your waiting list, or how does that work for you guys? For rifles or brass? Brass. Uh, brass. Yeah, we actually have a bunch of cartridges that are up for pre-order from ADG right now. We we ended up getting their entire 2023 production schedule with exactly how much we're getting from them. So mm-hmm. we opened all those up for pre-order. Uh, Peterson brass, a lot of brass available on the site right now. We actually do have, I think we have seven PRC brass up for pre-order right there. Um, but yeah, you can, most of the time, as long as we know, I hate pre-ordering stuff for guys and we don't know when to expect it. As long as I know when it's coming in, we'll sell you it ahead of time. Um, yeah. Is that a thing where you, do you get charged beforehand? You get charged when it ships? How does that work? Yeah. It's the only way our system works. If we send you an invoice, the only way it goes into the system is if it gets paid Uh, at some point in business, maybe we'll, maybe we'll step up our game a little bit and have a better system. Um, but yeah, it's a lot like, you know, I order stuff through Euro optic all the time. They're a huge business, but if you back order something with them, yeah, you got to pay up front. Yeah. I I don't think me as a consumer, I don't care as long as I know going into it. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. It's not, it's not so much about the fact you got to pay up front. If you're sure you're going to get it, you know, a lot of companies out there, uh, another big ADG brass dealer, you get on a back order list and you pay, but you actually have no idea if you're going to get it or when you're going to get it. We put up the entire production schedule. I'm sure a lot of guys know now that we're, you know, one of the top dealers for ADG and and maybe they have confidence that, you know, we're we're putting out the right information. So yeah, I'm the same way. If I know I'm going to give some guy my money for something I'm going to get in six months, as long as I know I'm going to get it, then I'm good. Yeah. Fantastic. So get back on topic. Yep. Get that brass before uh, you get Yes. Get, where did I put that? All right, there, secure brass before committing to a cartridge. Very important. Very important because yep. I can't tell you how many guys we dealt with through the big shortage, the big COVID shortage, how many guys were reaching out the week before their big hunt. <coughs> week before a big hunt, the $15,000 elk hunting somewhere, you know, and it, yeah. I went to go get my ammo off the shelf at Cabela's and they didn't have any. Is that the voice they had? Can, can, okay. you, can you help me? Man. <laughs> Why are they got to be Southern? <laughs> I don't, that, was that Southern? <laughs> yeah. I was bored in Georgia, so I could, that's oh, okay. I guess that's you can okay. throw shade on them. Yes. All right. So, uh, secure brass, wildcats and fire forming sucks. Yeah. I can attest fire forming sucks. I would just say that as you're, as you're working through your cartridge and caliber choices, you know, just make sure that, you know, if, if you get into a wildcat, we'll bring up, uh, Sherman wildcat cartridges as an example. Just know that you are stepping into the more advanced side of rifles and ammo. There are a lot of nuances and intricacies that you may not be familiar with, um, but it can also be really simple. So we have 6.5 SOM improved and 6 SOM improved reamers right now. It's as easy as taking that reamer spec or fired brass, sending it to Witten, and they make you dies to exactly match your brass, your, your cartridge, the fire forming of the brass can be a, a pain in the ass. Yes. To say the least. There's no way around it. It just sucks. So in the six Psalm improved realm, you got to neck down six, five Psalm brass to a six. Then you have to load it and go fire it so that the shoulder of the brass forms into what your chamber is in your rifle. Once you get through the fire forming and you make sure you spend money on good dies and that the dies match your cartridge and reamer, then it's okay. But if you don't understand all that shit I just said, then you shouldn't be doing wildcats. Should not even consider that until you have some experience. I we have I have a shop that does all this shit and I still don't want to do it. And I don't even have to do it. No, it, and it's just 
to me, it seems like just a waste. You're wasting part of your barrel life. You're wasting components. It's just a pain in the butt. This all coming from the guy that's literally shooting a wildcat right now. I, I, and, every, <laughs> and every time I do, but there is, and I was going to, this is another caveat real quick. When you do AI something, you know, and I say, you know, Ackley improved or Gibbs, you know, it's 40, when you go to a 40 degree shoulder, generally when you AI something, why does it seem like they're more accurate? And I, that may be just the ones that I've used, but they seem to be accurate when I freaking I, put a 40 degree I have a on theory. Them. Okay. I do. Can't wait to hear it. When you shoot through your load development in your 6.5 SOM with 6.5 SOM head stamped ATG brass, the brass was not formed to your chamber. Whenever you start load development on a Wildcat, the brass has already been exactly formed to your chamber. So a lot of guys will shoot through brass just to start load development on fired brass, which I think is a great idea. It doesn't apply to everybody, but I, if you have that option, it is a good option. When you fire form, so coming from ADG, brass meets a SAMI specification, and brass is super consistent from cartridge to cartridge. But if that brass doesn't match your chamber very well, and there's some good amount of brass movement on the first firing, you're going to have some variance there one way or another. And I think that generally wildcats had to be fire formed, and you're starting load development on formed brass, which is always more consistent. There you go. Yeah, that's my theory. I just noticed that if, if I... I to put a hole in your theory maybe is I've done a lot of once fired brass and I don't see the same accuracy all the time. Yeah. So that's where maybe inherent case accuracy, cartridge accuracy and all that good shit. I tell you everybody should get a six UM <laughs> forty degree shoulder. <laughs> Moving on rifle. We're gonna keep them on topic. <laughs> on go. topic. I think we covered everything for a cartridge. Yep. So barrels would be next. I feel like we're in a class right now. We should do this shit like because then we're in a class, we say, Okay, are there any questions? I know. I, if you guys have questions, what do they do? Yeah, email us at podcast at shoottohunt.com. And as we're going through this rifle deconstructed series, we still have one more topic to cover for this episode, but how, how long are we in? We are in an hour and like 10 minutes. That's oh, not bad. We can finish off the barrel. Oh, yeah, we can. And then literally, if you send us any, we got a few questions already, and we're going to do a monthly q and We're going to figure out how to do a monthly live Q&A. So send us your okay. questions. And we're even going to bring up if we lied and we're full of shit, send us those questions, and we will oh. we will have an answer live. Make me look bad. Make Jake look bad. Or if you but, just got a good joke. Oh, I love good jokes, especially oh. good dad jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, so it, so for the Rifle Deconstructed series in particular, I think, so we already have uh, Macmillan Stocks has committed to do a podcast for the stock segment, which is pretty awesome. So if you guys, if you're hearing this now and you want to participate in this series, send some stock questions. It doesn't have to be specifically Macmillan, but they're putting a stock expert on with us and we will make sure your answers, your questions get asked and you get some answers uh, when that comes up, we're going to do, we're going to do an action segment with bat machine, not just about bat actions, but just talking about actions in general. Going to do a scope one with night force scope. Yeah. we got night force coming on for that. So you guys can send questions for that one also. And then we're actually going to, we're going to do an accessory deal towards the end. Basically things that, that a rifle can function without is to me considered an accessory. So we're going to do like bipod stuff and talk about bags and barrel coolers and chronographs and maybe tools that go along with this rifle project uh, that, that are not necessary for the rifle to function, but you know, maybe you want them in your process. We'll have ace barrels on again and kind of 
do 20 questions. Then yeah. We and some. out here on the table, we actually got that. So we did, we're doing a test with Ace Barrels out of Spokane, and they took extremely precise measurements on the runout per inch on this barrel before we sent it for fluting. Uh, we sent it up to fluting at Camp Feld, fluting and Sandpoint, and it got back like crazy fast. So I just contacted Ace, and we're going to do the same measurements again to see if there's any uh, variance, any any induced runout from the uh, fluting process. We actually chose diamond because we think it's the most aggressive type of fluting that you can do. So stay tuned for that also. That'll be a, a podcast and a video on its own. Yep. And if we can get a trigger con- company to answer us back, that'd be great. <clears throat> if you're listening there, I've emailed Trigger Tech. Let me say this right. Geisley, Jewel. And you know who I thought about was Bix and Andy, but they're they're European or or somewhere not in the U.S. If, if there's a representative of any of those trigger manufacturers that could come on as a trigger expert to talk us through why, what, and how, we'd love to hear from you also. Yeah, we want to cover all facets. So, all right, barrels. Okay. Cut Barrel. versus button. Well, just to go back, so so everything that we talked about so far, uh, caliber, cartridge, bullet, impact velocity, all that good stuff, this was all so that you could order your barrel properly. We need to make sure we stabilize the bullet that you ended up with. We need to make sure the barrel is long enough to give you the impact velocity that you need. Yeah. Then we'll talk through the rest of the specs of the barrel now. So, so cut versus buttoned. Oh, go so ahead. Also a very interesting topic because a lot of people say you cannot, not a lot of people, but there's people out there that make barrels that say you should not flute a button rifle. A cut rifle. Button. You shouldn't flute a cut. Button. Really? Because when you, when they run a button, they don't take out any material. So they're forcing that material towards the outside of the barrel. So then when you, you open up the stress, when you take the steel away? Correct. To where a cut, uh, you're actually cutting that in, that cutting material out. Interesting, because actually there's, I've heard several other, we may or may not be trying to work on a carbon barrel. And I've talked to a lot of industry experts up to this point. And for example, Carbon 6 uses McGowan liners, because McGowan and Carbon 6 is the same company. And they won't use cut McGowan liners because they can't keep them straight. Really? For some reason, when you don't induce that stress with button rifling, it wants to warp when they take that material away. You'll also notice that cut rifled carbon barrels such as Benchmark and Bartline are much heavier than Proof or Carbon 6. Well, well, I can't say Proof for sure. I don't know if Proof is cut rifled with their carbon barrels or not. I, I don't know. But what I'm generally hearing is that you can't wrap a cut rifled barrel with as much meat taken away as a button rifled. Interesting. We need yeah. to figure out the facts on that. We are. We're going to do, uh, we've been taking a look at what other people are doing with their wrap as far as cut versus button and how thick and where they're wrapping it and so on. And, and we're going to do a test where we're going to take a cut rifled barrel and then we're going to remove a certain amount of material then we're going to go have it wrapped. Then we're going to bring it back and have it rifled and, and hand lapped and all that good stuff. Then we're going to take a finished barrel, then have it turned down and then have it wrapped and check it that way too. That's I mean, actually real life, real, real life, life stuff, we're not actually just gonna, opinions. No, no, no. We're gonna, that's the same reason we're doing this fucking fluting test. Cause I can't hear, I can't tell you how many times I've heard. I don't want a fluted barrel because it it's, they're crooked. So 
we decided because we're partnering up with Ace Barrels to do an actual. This is an actual test, guys. These guys can measure run out all the way down to the middle of the barrel. So they they start in the middle on each end and they measure run out per inch, which run out means they're spinning the barrel and how much, you know, how much is the needle moving inside the barrel from from end to end, inch to inch. This and aces are all cut, correct? They are all cut. Yeah. He actually uses six Ballard rifling instead of 5R. They're going to be adding some other rifling options, but uh, yeah, cut rifled, single point cut rifled, two tenths per pass, double hand lapped, made by some some awesome guys over there. So so anyways, cut versus button, there's still a hot debate. We'll have to... Uh, well, I guess we should just say with it. Button, button is literally, if you picture like this round thing being pulled down the hole in the barrel, right? And it's, and it's pushing the grooves into the steel. No material is removed. That is button rifling. Then you have cut rifling where the same process, but they're pulling a cutter down and it's removing material to create those grooves. That's the difference between button and cut. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know the answer because I read so many conflicting reports that, you know, like group, sh- you know, the world records are all shot with cut, but then there's a few outlier buttons in there. So yeah. I don't know. I have two hunting rifles and they both have button rifled carbon six barrels on them and they both hammer. I've killed a lot more animals with a button. Yeah. So, so I don't know that there's a right way. Let's, we're not, we're not putting one way or the other down. We just don't have enough experience to, to know one way or the other, but we both have rifles that are cut or button and they both shoot great. So. Correct. Okay. And then five R versus six Ballard. And I think six Ballard is, a lot of people know the five R name, but it's very interesting. If you go listen to our second podcast with Ace Barrels, they make a case for the six Ballard rifling. Yeah, it's the original type of rifling, and most guys might not even dive this deep. They may not even they they probably just order a barrel from a reputable manufacturer and expect that whatever that barrel is made to that it's going to shoot. And there are a ton of great barrel manufacturers out there, definitely. Um, each rifle builder, I would say, probably has manufacturers that they work with because it's what they're used to. It's what they trust. And and when it comes down to it, if 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 Travis Stevens or Dallas Lane or Arbros or you know Gun War, whoever builds you a rifle, once they put that barrel on that rifle, it's their fault if it doesn't shoot. They're going to have to fix it. At least they should. That's what a reputable gunsmith should. If if you order a rifle like this one on the table here from Unknown Munitions and and it doesn't shoot, that's not the customer's problem. I'm the one that chose that. Well, they may have chose the barrel, you know, but right. He don't care what bullet, what barrel, what yeah. case. It's your fault. Whoever it is. Built it. It's our fault. So if that barrel doesn't shoot and every barrel manufacturer has had barrels that don't shoot, just like every bullet has had a failure at some point, there are outliers and sometimes shit happens. And what it really comes down to is, is that gunsmith there for you? Are they going to make it right? And it is their fucking fault. If you get a, if you get a rifle that don't shoot from a gun builder and they're trying to get you to pay more for another barrel or whatever, it's not that's not the right way to do business. Yes, that's another thing we should have put on here at the beginning is make sure you vet out whoever's building your custom rifle. Yeah. Okay. All right. Carbon versus steel. Oh, that's a hot topic. Honestly. Shit. Yeah. Um, my thought is this: I've shot a lot of both. I've killed a pile of animal with carbon barrels from. For me, going forward, it'll be steel barrels. And that's not to say there's not a lot of good carbon barrels. It's just uh, some carbon barrels are just tricky to get to tune. I'm just going to say don't shoot a thin carbon barrel. Yes. Don't get 
a Sendero light, light as possible. If you're going to go, most guys today are going carbon because it looks cool. And I'll admit that this rifle on the table right now may not have, would not have the same effect with a fluted steel. Fluted steel sexy. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with fluted steel. If it's painted a different color down inside, even if it's not, it looks great. But carbon just has a look. And when you're going to spend that amount of money on a rifle, you know, carbon looks expensive. Carbon looks nice. Carbon looks custom. I have to agree. Because you look at like my 6UM, it's on a number two or three McGowan. It shoots great, but you put a can on it, it looks like a big old freaking dildo sticking on the end of a rifle. barrels do not look good. Yeah. So that's... And, you know, it's easier to get a 5.8 taper on a, you know, 5.8 thread pitch on a carbon than it is a skinny barrel. Well, most of yeah. we, we usually do. So we, we run like a benchmark number five contour that's a 700.700 muzzle finish. And that's what's fluted on the table there. It's the same 700 finish on the end and makes 5.8.24 threads super easy. And that's probably, so if you're going to go steel, I like a 700 finish, um, but we're not talking about a five pound sheep rifle either. If you're going to go carbon, don't get a skinny carbon barrel and buy from a manufacturer that you know is doing a good job. Yeah. But just know you could just doing load dev and shooting a lot of carbons. I'm not saying they won't shoot. They just, some are finicky and you got to mess with it. You got to mess with seating depth. You got to mess with, you might not be able, you might not be able to use the powder you want. You might not be able to use the bullet you want. So there could be with, we have seen with carbon barrels, it's a little more finicky to tune. Correct. Yeah, when you look at it from a nuts and bolts point of view, uh, a steel barrel is all steel. It's one piece of steel barrel. When you turn, they take when they make a carbon barrel, it's not made as a carbon barrel. It has a steel barrel that's its liner. Then they take all that material off the outside of the barrel. Then they wrap it in carbon, and then they smooth everything out. You're introducing carbon fibers. The carbon fiber is the fibers in there. Now you have resin, and you have steel that all expand at different rates. Every manufacturer has a different proprietary method of applying the carbon fiber in certain ways. And one guy thinks it's better than the other. Mm. They'll all tell you that they, they cool off faster and it's all just, it's, it's not the original steel barrel. Correct. Leaving the steel alone is probably the, the, the best way to ensure accuracy. So maybe three out of 10 barrels that are carbon have some issues and, and are a little more difficult to tune maybe one out of 10 for steel. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Long versus short barrels. Yeah. So I'd say, I think short barrels tend to be the the going trend lately is the foldable, packable rifle, you know, and they do, they do just keep getting shorter and shorter. We're actually, we just got an XLR Atom chassis coming in and one of our partners out here in, in North Idaho wants to build the shortest possible, the short, literally the shortest barrel possible on a 308 that will still function. So I don't know how much barrel needs to sit in front of that action, but we're going to cut the barrel off basically at the end of the chassis and put a suppressor on the end of it. And we're going to go <laughs> test it and see, we're going to see what seven or eight inches of 308 barrel can do for you at distance. That's That'd be awesome. fun. Well, I like anything that's different, you know, I mm-hmm. like, you know, trying to figure out where is the breakoff point. Like I said, I'm, people already know I'm going to build a 16 inch 6UM. Not because I think it's going to be the fastest gun in the world. I just want to know what it can and can't do. Yeah. Guys are going to ask how short is too short. We built a 300 Norma with an 18-inch barrel, had single-digit ES. Extreme spread and standard deviation is a very good judge of how short a barrel is because the shorter you go, the chances it may not burn all the powder. 
if you are consistently maintaining single-digit extreme spread in your loads that you're shooting, then you're burning all the powder. Because if you weren't, you could not get consistent muzzle velocity. So extreme spread to me is a great indicator of if the barrel's too short. So to put things into perspective, we have a 90-grain 300 Norma cartridge that was built on 18 inches of barrel, single-digit ES. We have a 20-inch barreled 300 rum with 98 grains of N570, single-digit ES, consistently over its whole life. We have a 24-inch barreled 33XC with 118 grains of N570, single-digit ES. So now we have some relative comparisons for amount of powder versus how long the barrel is to give you guys an idea of what if short is too short. I would say 18 inches is probably the shortest I'd ever go on anything anyway because then you're just getting down into AR lengths. When you talk about a 16-inch whatever, I think of AR. 18-inch mm-hmm. um, on, a, on, a, on a hunting rifle, it works. I wouldn't do a... I wouldn't do a 33XC on an 18-inch barrel. I would probably stick around that 24-inch is probably about the shortest. Um, but 300 PRC on an 18-inch barrel, definitely, definitely, definitely. Remember, if you go below 16, you need a stamp for it. So, Oh, that's right. Yep. Turns um, it into a short barrel rifle. Do you subscribe to the theory that shorter barrels are more accurate because they're stiffer? Oh. Well, I would imagine everybody knows that a barrel whips when you pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shorter the hose the shorter the whip technically it should be right i know all about the short hose <laughs> how did i know you could have something to say when i said it you know um i don't know i guess uh i guess we'll see soon enough um we're going to have a whole bunch of shorties coming through yeah but i would say so so overall 22 inch seems to be the most popular barrel length at the moment for unknown munitions rifle builds Really, 22 inch. 22 inch. The the 26 guys can't go all the way down to 20. It makes them nervous. The 24 guys that are thinking 20 still get nervous. If you've had a 24 or a 22, then maybe you go a little bit shorter. But I, I'm telling you, 22 seems to be. Now, when you guys order this barrel that we've walked you through this process of how to order, which we haven't finished, by the way. Um, if you order a 26-inch steel barrel, that's actually going to be 27 inches long because they trim a little, the gunsmith trims a little bit off on each end. But the point is that even if you order a 26-inch barrel finish length, you can still cut that down to any length you want. Not if it's fluted, then it's going to look like shit. But if you're not sure what you want yet, you can order a steel barrel at 26-inch finish. You can cut that all the way down to an 18, and then you can have it fluted at Campfeld. Then you could build your rifle. So if you're unsure about the length, order long. They usually give you up to 26 inches at the same price as a. So an 18 inch barrel is the same price as a 26 inch. Right, uh, and I know I just saw as a Kinport Rifles was just doing a thing with a 6.5 PRC. They were yeah, so they were cutting it off, cutting it off, and then he had a finished product at 18 inches, and it was, it was badass. Was it. So I, I was I was trying to get in there and see what the data was. He was like, what. I didn't How see much the, do you lose it? He didn't post the data. The only thing I saw was his end product. It was like 28 something with a 212, or no, sorry, a one, whatever the EL, the heavy ELDX is, 143 out of a 6.5. Yeah. Was 28.60 at 18, which is pretty huh. fast. If you're listening, Kim Port is Kim Port. Kim Port rifles. Kim Port, Kim Port Peak rifles. There you go. If you're listening, put that data up there. I didn't yeah. see the data. I also think the 20 inch bar- or the short barrel craze is kind of also because people are really going towards suppressors. I know you love suppressors, mm. but I think a lot of people want to put suppressors and they don't want the overall length. I keep hearing the foldable, packable. That's where it's going. 
Yeah, but the foldable packable, we discussed, we we actually did a that first podcast. We didn't release it. Yeah. I've had a folding stock. We talked about this for yeah. four years and I have yet, and I hunt with people with folding stocks. Yeah. I do use a Kafaru ammo, uh, ammo bear or gun bear. Or, sorry, ammo bear, gun bear, thinking yeah. military gun bear. I've never folded the stock, nor have I seen anybody fold the stock. So that was interesting to me. When, and then we when, talked about potentially adding in a source of failure, a point of failure on your rifle. Correct. Yeah. So yep. if you're not actually going to use the folder, but it, you think it sounds really good, maybe don't get it. This goes back to the, there's there's not a lot of hunting going on. There's a lot of talking going on, and it sounds good in concept. Yes. But in actual use, it's not as useful as people think. Shit changes when you get in the mountains. That's for damn sure. Yeah, absolutely. But we only get to be in the mountains for a week or two, so we're going to talk about it for the other 50 weeks. Week or two. Yeah. Well, the normal guys that are not Ryan Avery of Rockside that spend three months in the backcountry. Yeah. Life goals. Life goals. It we're is get, a life We're going to get Jake actually. there soon. I'm cute. I got to keep. Keep growing. Okay. All right. This is a very interesting topic, and I think people misunderstood it. Shank diameter and length. Yeah. So the industry standard is two and a half inches. So the shank, guys, is the place. It's the part of the barrel that is up against your action. So here are those of you guys on the camera there. So this part right here, this is the shank. The standard is two and a half inches long by 1.2 inches in diameter. Now, bat machine actions require at least a one and a quarter diameter because their tendon threads are one and an eighth. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Just know that you need a one and a quarter diameter minimum. If you're going to shoot a 338 Lapua improved, you want a three inch long shank by at least one and a quarter, maybe 1.3 inch diameter. Now, that does add some weight, which will scare some guys a little bit, but you basically want enough meat around the cartridge to support it. What so just layman? What is the standard? Two inch, two and a half inches long by one point two inches in diameter. And if you're going to build a big magnum like a three thirty eight, if you go to Lapua Casehead, you need a three by one point two five minimum, maybe one point three inch diameter. More than one point three is better. So three by one point three for anything with a Lapua Casehead, which we didn't talk. We'll talk about more of that when we get down here, but. Yeah, so that is your barrel shank. Uh, barrel contours, all that good stuff. Each manufacturer has their own names of their different contours, and usually they have their dimensions up on their website. Obviously, the fatter the steel barrel, the heavier it is. So if you're trying to you know, hit a specific weight for your build, I would also tell you don't spend too much time mulling over three ounces. You know, If it's a carbon versus a steel and it's three ounces difference, three ounces is really not a lot in the end on your build. You can waste that three ounces on a number of other things. The barrel is the largest weight consumer of your rifle. So if you're trying to build light, you need to spend the most time thinking about your barrel. You're going to save more weight in a barrel than you will in any other part of your rifle if you're doing it right. Gotcha. Okay, so the next thing would be uh, muzzle brake versus suppressor versus nothing. Yeah. I haven't shot nothing <laughs> on the end of my barrel in a long time. It really surprises me still how many guys are bringing rifles into unknown munitions right now just for muzzle threading because they've never had a brake on there. Like having started only with brakes, I don't, I wouldn't want to go any other way at this point. And the whole suppressor versus brake, I mean, that's. We'll have to have a whole podcast on that. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just point, I'm going to just highlight, I don't want to get too deep into it. I'm just going to highlight my thoughts about why suppressors don't really factor into a build when I'm considering something to build for myself. 
extra length, extra weight. Even though a suppressor is meant to suppress sound, I'm still going to put earplugs in. Pointless. It is potentially a first shot point of impact shift because the suppressor baffles have to fill up. Would you agree? No, haven't seen that to be true. You haven't seen a first shot. So, so you don't believe that the baffles have to fill up with no, really? Okay. Haven't seen that to be true. Uh, for multiple shots, Mirage. I have seen that to be true. Tell me some pluses here while, while I'm listing out all my so negatives for, for you. For me, it's a couple factors. I've hunted my whole life. I have, I've hunted my whole life, been around loud bangs my whole life in the military also, losing hearing. There's been several times where I thought, because everybody thinks they'll have time to put in hearing protection. There's been multiple times, probably between 10 to 20 times, I have not been able to put hearing protection in. That happens all the time. Yeah. For sure. And I've, I've lost hearing, especially my left ear. I don't know what that hearing damage is, but I always have a ringing in my ear. Um, number Called two. tinnitus. Ten- tinnitus. I mean, I just I don't know what the level of hearing loss. I've never been tested. Oh, okay, I definitely okay. have hearing loss in my left ear, probably uh-huh. my right ear too. Um, not just from shooting rifles from the military. Also, I have some brain loss in my left ear. Oof, man, those <laughs> like, you, like that short. His son, <laughs> we were elk hunting. Just quick story, we were elk hunting, and his son, I, I may or may not have gave him the wrong dope on the first shot. So I was trying to tell him, and I was actually dialing the the elevation, and he. I didn't quite get my ear plugged on the second one and it ripped off about a foot from my head. Yeah. And uh, I still hear that ringing. It's bad. So anyways, that would be the reasons. Number two, for me and my wife hunting a lot together, and this is this is applicable for a lot of people that hunt with wives or kids or other people, is it saves on divorce for me because my wife really protects her hearing. So if I have a muscle break, she doubles up on her plugs. Well, she has plugs and headphones and uh, ear pro. So I can't talk to her to where it's a break or with a can, she's definitely mm. more loose on her hearing protection as far as she's not going to lose it when she shoots. Um, number three, if you're shooting, you know, like four or five of you or two or three of you or even two of you are trying to shoot animals like in a herd elk, it's they stay around and stick around a lot more when you're shooting suppressed. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to lie to you. There is more weight. There is more length. About recoil control. Yeah, there is some recoil control, but if you take our TI Pro 2 and you put it on pretty much any rifle or TI Pro series against any any suppressor I put. I mean, you're talking 60%, 70% maybe recoil reduction with the TI Pro, and you're talking maybe 20. Mm-hmm. And it changes the pulse. It's harder to spot your own hits with a suppressor because the pulse is longer. But how do I mitigate Pulse meaning how it pushes on you after, yeah, so the, when you after the shot. Pull the trigger. It's If you ever shot a muzzleloader or a shotgun, that's more what a suppressor on a rifle feels like than a muzzle break. A muzzle break is a quick, you know, just, it's almost just like shooting nothing. It's quick and fast and it's over to where when you pull the trigger with a can, it's long. Mm-hmm. It pushes on you longer. Cause you remember that can is capturing all that air. So it's, it's elongating the recoil pulse. I wanted to say something about muzzle breaks in particular. If, if you guys are out there listening, if, if you have radial muzzle breaks on your rifle, you need to get that off there. I don't know why the Vias, that's like the big series, like Christensen Arm used the uh, Vias kind yeah. of. The 360 muzzle brakes are pointless. They're they actually, so they spit gas all over the place and blow shit everywhere, but they're also, there's no angling on the port. You guys need to think about a muzzle brake like reverse jet propulsion. Like as the as the bullet is coming out the end of the barrel, you want 
force going the opposite direction. So if all your ports are just coming sideways out the side of the brake, you're not getting maximum effectiveness. When yeah. you shoot it, and we have SS Pro now too. Mm-hmm. So we got basically TI, the Pro line of brakes, they're in titanium and stainless steel, but the, the porting is extremely aggressive. This is not a brake that you go to the range and you want to shoot 100 times, but it's the brake you want on there with a big cartridge for a hunting shot. And that's what it comes down to for me. It's light. It weighs nothing. It's two ounces. And it's so much recoil control that kids can shoot big cartridges. Yeah, and this is another caveat. It's been brought up on Rockside a lot about brakes in general. So you have all these people saying which brake's more effective. And I'm just going to say this. When you see a brake test, just make sure it's an apples-to-apples test. Because you have guys comparing straight ports, which, I mean, basically there's no angle to the actual baffle of that brake. So each individual, you know, hole is straight going 90 degrees away from the rifle. You cannot compare those to our brakes or, you know, the the fat bastard brakes or Terminator brakes. An apples to apples comparison, if somebody tells you that a straight 90 degree ported brake is efficient as a as an angled ported brake, they're idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. So move on. You cannot compare any of the brakes. You, you compared, I'm not saying this as well as I'd like. And you got to compare apples to apples. An angled brake has to be compared to angled baffled brakes. Because mm. I just saw this long, anyways, long post about brakes and it yeah. irritated me because it's apples to oranges when they're either 360 and you know, like the Vias brakes mm. or they're straight baffled or angled baffled. When it comes to brakes for hunting rifles, obviously titanium is lighter than steel, right? And the goal is for a lightweight rifle to have the, this brake weighs just a couple ounces. Uh, on top of that, you want aggressive porting to control a big cartridge. And it's not just because this pro line of brake is our line of brakes, but that is the most recoil control per ounce that you can buy. And we've tested a lot of brakes. There was a reason why we came out with the brake in the first place. There's a lot of brakes out there. Yeah. And the, the, what I was going with that comparison is you have you had a guy with a fat bastard that's an angled ported brake against a bunch of straight ported brakes. Mm-hmm. Well, of course the fat bastard is going to be the best. Yeah. So just make sure when you look at a review on brakes that they are all apples to apples. Yeah, we're not going to take the TI Pro and compare it to all these straight ported ones you're talking about. There are a relatively small handful of brakes that have aggressive porting like that, and they should all be compared, you know, to each other. It's actually a lot of gunsmiths in general kind of have their own brake because it's a it's a pretty easy part. If you have a lathe and a mill like a gunsmith does, it's fairly easy to manufacture a straight ported brake because they just – they turn down a piece of steel, they drill out the center, they put some threads on the end of it, right? And then they drill or they mill slots straight across and it's a perpendicular, it's a very easy on a milling machine. Um, so there are a lot of gunsmiths out there. A straight, you know, if that port, like Ryan said, is 90 degrees from the from the barrel path or from the bullet path, you know, it's not, it's not giving you maximum control. Jake explained it much better than I did. Anyways, just go buy a TI Pro and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, TI Pro... Uh, and again, suppressor, it's just suppressors are not for me. We're actually going to do the 6.5 Salm Approved, and I have an Ultra 5 that we're going to put on it. And that's because I think the cartridge is small enough that that it's going to be effective. And, and I want my kids and my wife to be able to, sh- like you said, for all those reasons you said. Uh, generally, though, if it's if it's a 30 cal, if it's anything long action, I don't think a suppressor is right. Well, any and I'll add this. I am a, I am a big suppressor fan. If I'm shooting anything above a 300 PRC, or sorry, 300 WSM, it's not worth it to me. I cannot spot my own hit. No. I just can't. Because of that long push because there's long no recoil push. control. Yeah, and it's the recoil is not out of control. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt me. I'm not afraid of it. But I cannot spot my own hit with a magnum with a suppressor. Mm-hmm. 
So we walked you through caliber and then bullet and then cartridge. And then this was all so that you could order your barrel. Uh, we didn't talk about, so we started talking about velocity. You guys didn't get into uh, bullet stability. So making sure when you're going to order that barrel, you're going to need to know what twist rate uh, to match the barrel length and make sure your bullet's going to be stable. The best tool for that is Burger Stability Calculator. It's yep. not just for burger bullets. Uh, they do have all their bullets in a drop down, which makes it a very easy tool to use for their bullets. But as long as you have the measurements needed off the bullet that you're after, you can use their tool. Make sure that it has an SG factor of one and a half or higher. There is some fudge factor built into that calculation. So if you're on 1.5 or 1.45, you're going to be okay. But just use that tool. Don't just order the same twist rate that everybody else did. If you go with a super short barrel, you may need to order a faster twist rate. Faster meaning the number is smaller. So if you say eight twist, it means that in every eight inches, the bullet makes one rotation. If it's a six twist in every six inches of the barrel, the bullet makes one rotation. So the smaller the number, the faster the twist. Don't just go off what the side of the box of bullets says. For example, a 215 hybrid says maybe nine twist on the side of it. In fact, what is it? I don't, don't just go off what the box says. Do your own investigation while you're going through and you're specking out your barrel. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a longer barrel, you can go with a little bit slower twist rate. Um, would you say that uh, a faster twist will ever hurt you? So if I read all Brian Litz's books and he goes pretty in depth about this, basically, if you don't go drastic, the, the right answer is if you're on the fence, go with the faster twist rate. In other words, if you're shooting a six, five PRC and you're on the fence about an eight or a seven and a half, you're not going to hurt anything with a seven and a half, but you will hurt it if you can't stabilize the bullet. To be too drastic, that will be like saying, do I need an eight twist or a five twist? You know, there's actually a lot of eight, six blackout barrels right now that are a three twist. I just saw that. Yeah. So it can be, uh, it can be to bullets can be turned pretty damn fast. But uh, so if you're on the fence, go with the faster twist rate, which is a smaller number. If you have no idea where to even start, use sources like for that make factory production rifles like Christensen, Tika, things like that. Go in and look at, what twist rate is the Christensen rifle in 300 PRC? What length is the barrel? Uh, their new, uh, what's their new FFT? Christensen's new mm -hmm. FFT ridgelines, the 6.5 PRC, I think is a 20-inch barrel. And I want to say it's an 8-twist. It is an 8-twist. Yeah. Most guys, if you're going to go 20-inch barrel and you think you may want to shoot a 156, maybe 7.5, it's time to step up to the 7.5. Um, when it's close like that, it doesn't seem to matter as much. It, I'm, I'm no. going faster. Oh yeah. Or yeah. sorry, going slower. Yeah. It doesn't seem to like if you're dropping down a half or even some of like from, oh, going from one eight to one seven and you're shooting a heavy for caliber bullet, mm -hmm. it ain't going to hurt you at all. Mm -hmm. We'll put that burger twist calculator. I don't think that's what it's called, but we'll put it in the show notes. Bur Luke burger Bur twist calculator, burger stability calculator. There it is. Burger stability. And you can just Google it too to get there if you don't want to. But yeah, so, so the whole point of everything we went through, of course, to pick your bullet and pick your cartridge, what we wanted to equip you with the right tools to order the barrel that you need. Again, if you're not sure about length, but you want to order a steel barrel, go long because the gunsmith can part it off or cut it off. It doesn't have to be the exact length of steel barrel that you order unless it's fluted. If it's fluted, uh, either wait for fluting or order at the right length. Carbon barrels don't really have that option. You can't just cut off six inches of carbon barrel. That's not going to work. Uh, some manufacturers run carbon all the way to the end. Um, who's the guy down there in middle Idaho? Um, Hell's Canyon? 
Yeah, Hell's Canyon. So Hell's Canyon Armory, they use uh, they use benchmark liners, and he runs the carbon all the way off the end, and you got to kind of put a cap on it and cut it to length. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be able to trim a carbon barrel to length, he might be a good choice. Yeah, and then we talked about the barrel shank and contours. Uh, definitely pay attention to contour measurements because Sendero is not Sendero is not Sendero. It means different things for a lot of barrel manufacturers. In other words, a proof Sendero is much smaller than a benchmark Sendero. That's true with even still. If you go number four with somebody, like if you take a number four hard against a number four Bart line, I've had them. They're not the same. Mm-hmm. Yep. So which manufacturer you end up going with? Uh, barrels, uh, most of the time a barrel is the longest lead time on a build. So benchmark right now is 12 months on carbon and 11 months on steel. So you can't even order a hunting rifle today and spec a barrel out from benchmark and have a built-in time. So keep those kind of things in mind as you're planning out your build, and that's why we started the way we did. Get your barrel ordered, and the rest of it, you know, we'll get to on the next episode. All right. If you have any questions for me or Jake, podcast at shoottohunt.com. And get those questions in for these for McMillan, for Night Force. Get some questions in there. Yeah. You're not going to hurt our feelings, so let's hear them all. Unless unless it's really bad, then just send it to Jake. <laughs> Podcast at shoottohunt.com. Thanks for listening.